0: one that I had that I see a lot of people um, come to us with is is that the interest rate is the most important thing when it comes to your loan that's that's a big misconception that
1: really sets people off in the in the wrong direction. Welcome back to Dashdot Insider, where we help you to become a better property investor. And on today's show, I'm talking with Adam Hart. Now, Adam holds the illustrious title of having been in the most amount of different positions in Dashdot. He's been everything from an analyst to an acquisition manager. He's been in the sales team and is also currently a property portfolio strategist, helping people to design and craft their ideal property portfolios. But not only that, this episode, we really dig into a transformational story. You see... Adam has kind of lived really two major lives in his adult in his adult life. He's lived a life in hospitality, in in events, and building these you know amazing environments for people to express themselves. And then during COVID, he transitioned into property full time. So not only did he accelerate himself as a property investor, but he actually became a real estate professional, joining the Dashdot team and talking through that transition and how he's navigated that and what the similarities and the commonalities and also the differences between those two parts of his life were and are was really, really insightful. I think there's a lot of lessons in this episode around how even if you are living a certain life today, you can actually live whatever life you want just because you're doing one thing doesn't mean you can't do another thing. And it's actually there's a real beauty in the transition in life. I've personally gone through that a lot as well, transitioning from a different career and a different kind of lifestyle in my 20s and now in my 30s, running this amazing company, Dash Dot, and doing loads of other amazing stuff. And so talking through that story, talking through some of the habits and rituals, I think it's going to be really inspiring to a lot of people who are seeking to potentially reinvent themselves and to become something new, either for the joy and the passion of wanting to pursue something different or because they want to transition to a better state in their life. I love this journey that we went on with Adam today. We asked some great questions now. I'd love your comments and your feedback. Make sure you subscribe as well. And without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it, and I'll see you on the inside. Welcome back to Dash.Insider. Joining me on today's show is Adam Hart. Adam, how are you? I'm very good, Gus. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. Now, most people, well, in fact, I'm going to say, probably everyone who's watching this or listening to this has no idea who you are, but I think you actually hold the record for the most number of titles or positions held at Dashdot. Is that correct? And can you introduce yourself and try and remember all of the different positions you've held at Dashdot? that would be a pretty interesting way to start. All right. It's going to take me a while. So my name is Adam, of
0: course. Um, I started off as a property analyst, so searching the wide world, uh, looking for properties. I then moved into the acquisition manager uh, position where... I was involved in uh, acquiring the uh, during the purchase for our clients. Uh, then I moved for a, a time into into the sales team, and I'm currently uh, a property strategist, so working with clients uh, with big picture uh, to get them towards where they're trying to go.
1: That's super interesting. So because I know that your background, you've only been in the real estate space for a little while since you joined Dash. So it's a very interesting journey. I want to dig into that. What's the biggest lesson, like as you've transgressed? these different types of roles within Dashdot and more broadly speaking within the context of property, right? So you started out as an analyst looking at deals. Then you started, then you were an acquisition manager helping people to do the acquisition of and acquiring and building their portfolio. Then you moved into an advisory you know, role, helping people to work out if if, if working with Dashdot was the right thing to do full on on, like in that kind of context as well. And now you're actually helping people to design their property portfolios. What's been the biggest lesson that you've learned through all of those different parts of the journey how important
0: being adaptable is it's been really challenging the whole thing has been just just learning all i've done the whole time i've been at dashdot is just learn so i've never actually felt like i'm nailing this but when i look back i go well you know what i've I've come
1: a long way so the ability to adapt and learn has been incredibly useful Yeah, nice, nice. That is a good lesson for everyone. So let's go back a little bit. So before you joined Dashdot, what were you doing? What led you to, you know, let's start talk talk about that. What was your background before you joined Dashdot?
0: Yeah, so mostly in hospitality. So running um, restaurants, bars, nightclubs, being in that in that world. Um, And in the lead up to starting with Dashdot, I was actually and COVID, um, I was actually looking at starting my own my own venue. So. It was, a, it was a real
1: change to move
0: from that into into the, the property world and into a remote uh, uh, job too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, nice. No, That's really interesting because um, some people may know and you know, but my background was also, we'll call it broadly speaking, in hospitality. Mine was in the event side, festivals and stuff like that. So- the context right. is kind of the same. You're providing spaces for people to have a great time and to do all that kind of stuff. And yeah, you know, I did venue based stuff as well. And so I understand that side of the world too. Talk to me a little bit about that. What, what did you really love about that whole part of your life? You know, the, the hospitality, the kind of venues. Talk to me about what was, what was cool about that and how that has shaped who you are today. Yeah. So I, I started back when I was,
0: you know, 20. So. Ready to have fun, yeah, you know, hedonism and partying and all that sort of stuff, and that kind of grew. You know, I still loved the, the the pursuit of of happiness and pleasure, but most importantly for me, it's it's never really been about the food or the drink. I've always been more about the people and the connection. So i almost use the the the, the theatre of hospitality
1: to really connect with people and have a great time. That's been the thing, the driver for me. Yeah, that's su- that's super interesting. Because you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned hedonism, and you, and you also then said the pursuit of happiness. Like hedonism, in its in its, pure, in its purest form, you know, can actually be a good thing. Uh, it's kind of like when it, it can also get taken a little bit too far, you know. So I, I consider myself to be a hedonist. You know, obviously, if anyone who's familiar with my story also knows that that also led down a path of of too much kind of um, drugs and alcohol and all of that kind of stuff. But that doesn't change that at the core, I am still a. a a hedonist you know i am seeking out to want to experience you know the epicurean delights you know the outer reaches of uh, pleasure and happiness and joy and all of that kind of pursuit so it's very interesting that you've looked that back and said it actually wasn't about any of that kind of stuff it was about the people so how does that flow through to what you're doing now yeah good question and it is something that i have experienced
0: challenges with so going from a face to face where you're you know you're energy exchanging you're having little jokes and all that sort of stuff to purely on, on zooms and you know, you don't see any of the lead up or the aftermath or the anything with a meeting with, with zoom. You just zoom straight in and out. So for me, it's, it's now it, it's still a challenge to be able to get that deep connection even through zoom, but it feels really good to help people in a different way. Yeah. So I used to help people just to have fun and it was pretty surface level. Now I'm actually helping people to to get somewhere in their lives and, and making a big difference. And it's a lot more
1: profound is the right word, but, you know, it feels a little bit more wholesome. Yeah, totally. I actually went through a pretty similar kind of thing. So I started my career in events when I was like 14, right? And by the time I was like 17, 18, I was, you know, it was my full-time professional career and I was organizing big day. I was on the, on the management team for big day out and stuff like that. Big, big stuff. Yeah. It was great because I was really I really loved this idea of being able to create spaces for joy like just to just be able to create spaces and create experiences that would drive happiness and all of this kind of, it really excited me and fulfilled me because i love for me it's about impact on people it's always been about impact on people and so when you can create these environments that people can become enraptured and have these experiences with, it's awesome it's so powerful but then, when I was in yeah. my early twenties, I think it was probably around, call it sort of twenty twenty two ish or something. I'd already been I've been doing the kind of that whole kind of large scale event thing for a few years, and then I just started thinking about all of the wastage. I was like, okay, this is cool that we're creating these events, but you know, I could see the size of the generators that we were running. I knew how much diesel we were burning every day just to kind of put these things on, and I started to think like, man, is this is this the impact that I want to create, and is this how I want to do it? And I actually then had a a bit of an epiphany and i was like nah this is all the wrong thing and i went went away and, and started teaching permaculture in ethiopia and stuff, and stuff like that just went on the other side of thing so but it's um it's quite interesting when you start to then think about like, how can i take this concept of what i love which is impacting people and bringing joy and all that kind of stuff and then how can i thread that through in other areas of my life so do you feel like that's kind of still threading through now and you're still finding your feet on how to deliver that deliver that joy yeah absolutely hundred percent it,
0: it's and it's just a different type of joy that we're that we're providing to people and it's a long-term joy it's not just a one and done three hours of fun yeah you know, it's, it, it's a lifestyle
1: yeah totally when did you first start getting interested in property because i'm pretty sure it wasn't when you're in your 20s and and just starting to get into the uh we'll call it hospitality but we could also probably say party scene a little bit as well right yeah that it certainly was
0: it was actually pre-20 it was in my teens I had a little inheritance from my granddad, and I hit my dad up, and I said, "Can you go guarantor on a loan? I want to buy a house." And he said, "No." Why? You know, I, I found out later he actually doesn't believe in private property ownership. It's against his his he, he, he's morally opposed to it, which wow. I, I need to dig into a little bit more. Yeah, I haven't dug into too much, but he he doesn't believe that houses should be going up in value, and people should you know rents and all that sort of stuff. And he's more of a sort of socialist, believing in uh, in government providing housing and stuff like that so it was interesting to uh i didn't realize the battle that i was up against at that point i I might have put a bit more uh emphasis onto my ability to
1: influence him and
0: take him on a path down uh down that track track to help me what did you uh, think
1: his objection was then at the time did you think he was just being a stick in the mud and saying kind of like stuff you go sort it out yourself Oh,
0: do you know what? I, th- I thought maybe he was—he was just having a look at the way I was living. You know, I was—I was, I was out, out, out every weekend and you know, having fun. And maybe he thought he was going to be stuck with the property. So I, I do—I I
1: did kind of understand where he was coming from at the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So you started—you got—you got a bit of an inheritance. You got interested in property in your teens. You didn't get to take action on that. You then went uh, and started your career in hospitality. You went on that wild journey. What was the kind of turning point where you? Obviously, you said COVID. Just before COVID, you were about to open your own venue, then COVID hit. That didn't happen. So talk to me about the transition for you, because you've had a pretty significant transition over the last couple of years, and I've been very grateful to be a part of that transition. And, and it's been an awesome uh, an awesome, you know, journey for me, too, to be able to share that with you. So talk to me a little bit about that. What was the kind of mental shift that you went through that said, okay, I'm actually going to leave this industry that I've that's been such a big part of my life i'm going to change my pathway in life this is something that i'm passionate enough about to do that talk to me about that that transition well it
0: sort of started a little bit with with my reduction in in consumption so i was i was just deciding that you know party scene and and alcohol and stuff it just impacts my life too much so cool pack from that, which means that hospitality is actually a bit less fun. You throw COVID in there as well with lockdown after lockdown after lockdown. And I'm going, mate, what, what's the future of this industry for one? And how can I get a loan? <clears throat> like I'm trying to get a loan here and I'm speaking to my mortgage broker and he's like laughing at me saying, well, mate, you, you don't have an income. Well, what do you want me to do? I'm, I'm not a magician. And I was like, wow, okay. So it, it all kind of culminated at the same time. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a loan and that basically smack me in the face saying you need to be an industry that's not affected at that point i had no idea what was going to happen with covid for me it could have it could have come back in 75 strains over the next you know millennia and no no face-to-face business would ever be you know allowed to open again so i was kind of just like you know right now i'm on this track i could quite easily change to this track and so it was a pretty simple decision at that point dash dot had a job opening and I was quite inspired by the way you know the, I'd listened to the podcast heaps through COVID, and I was just just wanted to be around this type of thinking. You know, it, it's quite disruptive in its nature. Your you and you and Gabby and, and the way that you guys approach things
1: is is was inspiring. And I was like, let's go. Awesome. If you had a crystal ball, if you could go back to then, and if you had a crystal ball that said, "Hey, in whatever it is eighteen months or whatever whatever it was, however long it took for kind of venues and stuff to open back up." If you had it because you said there was a bit of an uncertainty, you didn't know what the future looked like. What if it never came back? Right. I need a change, I need to get a loan. If you had a crystal ball and you knew that things were going to effectively come back to normal, would you still have made the shift? Well, oh, that's a good question, Goose.
0: That is a good question. And one that I think I may have I may have still invested, perhaps, in a hospitality business, but it may not have been my full-time gig. I may have thrown some money at, at something and helped guide. But I still like being on the path of that, that i'm on with dash dot is is it feels good um and also you know buying houses is is just fun
1: yeah yeah nice so talk to me a little bit about your personal transformation journey because i know that you've gone from we'll call it like a hedonistic lifestyle into a pretty like i would say you are you're living a pretty holistic lifestyle uh now i mean we caught up for for lunch recently you were talking about breath work you were talking about you know all kinds of different stuff talk to me a little bit about that transformation because it feels like you've you've not only had a career change, but also a change in, I'd say like lifestyle slash spiritual trajectory. Is that a kind of like a reasonable thing to say? And can you talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: I think I'm still, uh, like you, still pursuing pleasure. And just trying to navigate how I can do that and also wake up the next day with a smile on my face. The breath work that, that you talked about, and I'm reading a book called Wim Hof, for those of you who don't know, is the Iceman, the guy, the crazy big Dutch guy that jumps in frozen lakes and stuff. And cold exposure and breath work combined together have become quite a big part of my life, believe it or not. You know, a year ago, I'd never heard of either of them. And I, and I still think it's weird when I'm talking about it. But, together you know breath work can can actually get you high you know like i've had i've cried my eyes out i've felt other people's pain i've had all these quite unique experiences that perhaps i wouldn't have had unless i was you know in, a, in an altered state of consciousness which is basically where, where it can take you if you're doing this kind of shamanistic breathing where you where you you basically get out of your head those yeah those things combined especially the cold exposure allows me to practice discipline which I've never really had a lot of. You know, being a hedonist, you, oh, should we have a drink? Yeah, off we go. Where's shots. And where's your discipline gone? Oh, my rubber arm. You know, that we talk about it, right? That's been me. And so to to practice discipline, to practice doing something that I actually don't want to do, which is having cold showers or having a, a cold immersion, which, which mentally is,
1: is challenging to get into, enables me to, to really feel good afterwards and mm-hmm. challenge myself. Didn't you go on a retreat where you went up into the mountains and – like a week or something and rolled around in the snow like talk to me about that
0: pretty much yeah we 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 did cold exposure so you know like the 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 sun's going we just done some breath work where i'd you know ball my eyes out people had shared stuff that they hadn't shared at any any time in their life i think that's the thing that i like about it is the, the connection that you feel kind of the vulnerability uh the the, the walls come down on, on everybody and you really get to experience connection um that's not normal in normal life and after we did that so we had this incredible connection this is the first day the sun's going down and we're all in our you know swimmers and we're walking off to a frozen lake we had to crack the top of this lake like it had an inch or maybe a couple of centimeters of ice we had to smash it to get into this lake and then we sat in there for five minutes or something you know arm in arm and at that point this is where the story went in I, i was like i can't do this this is so bad and I was freezing. I was like jackhammer. And people beside me were making sure I was okay. And it was, that was a really horrible experience. But subsequently it got easier and easier and better and better. And I realized that if I was there for other people, my pain and my suffering ceased to exist, which was quite an interesting experience.
1: Super interesting. So if you focused on serving other people, you, you stopped focusing on your own. Uh, discomfort, pain, disease, and stuff like that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a really interesting kind of um, uh, concept and principle to more broadly take, but not just when you're arm-in-arm in arm jumping into a frozen lake, but to apply in, in the rest of your life, right? That's that, that's pretty profound. Absolutely. Nice.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so talk to me then a little bit about what you have learned being on the inside at Dashdot. More specifically, what are some of the common misconceptions that you've seen, the people that have about real estate investing? You've gone from outside to inside so now what can you share back to people on the outside about things they might be not understanding or some common misconceptions people might have about real estate investing
0: yeah um one that i had that i see a lot of people um come to us with is is that the interest rate is the most important thing when it comes to your loan that's that's a big misconception that really sets people off in the in the wrong direction. And one that can be pretty, pretty easily overcome by talking to a strategic broker or an organization that can assist you with, with the vision of where you're trying to get to and, and a step by step process. And the second one I think is you must buy a property within a drive of where you live. I had both of these before I had come and worked with Dashdot and you know, that that was just what I thought needed to happen. And it's just not. It just doesn't have to be like that.
1: What do you think the main benefits are once you can once you can overcome like the interest rate thing? Great, but like the the kind of like buying in your local area versus buying, you know, sight unseen. In many cases, what do you think the main advantage of that is, or what advice would you hit, get, give to someone who's still stuck in that mindset? Yeah. So, I mean, this obviously depends where you live, for one,
0: because you could be in a fantastic area to achieve your goals, and you could be in not that. Um, you could also be in an area that is incredibly uh, out of your reach in terms of your affordability and vice versa. And it's unlikely that to achieve your goal, potentially, just buying in your area alone rather than having a balanced portfolio of perhaps different asset classes in different areas that get to ride the property clock, if you like, or different um, waves of growth at different times, it's going to help you achieve where you're trying to be.
1: Mm. Nice, nice. Now, you recently uh, bought an investment property which certainly wasn't in your backyard you then went and actually renovated it yourself do you want to kind of talk a little bit about that you were living in sydney and then where did you buy and then also i'd really like to know what on earth compelled you to want to go and do the renovation on it yourself can you talk us through can you talk us through that <laughs> yeah absolutely so
0: i bought a property in townsville one that had been under contract but uh, the building and pest came back pretty bad, and the client just ran away. Um, ran the, away from the, the property. property ran away from the work. property,
1: right? They didn't just like
0: <laughs> ran away from the property. <laughs> it wasn't one of our clients. It was uh, it, it was just a property. And so I I came across this property and I knew it would go pretty quickly. So I understood where it was at. It needed a fair bit of work. I knew that was the case. The partner that we used wasn't able to do the renovation. On the property, or do do what needed to be done. I would be, I would have been much happier not to do the renovation myself. Just just for clarity, but because he wasn't able to do that, and it was very challenging, because it was a reasonable renovation, it needed a, a, it needed a boots on the ground. So, with my ability to work from anywhere at Dashdot, I packed everything in the in the car and drove up to Townsville in a weekend
1: and stayed there a lot longer than I planned to. Nice. How long were you there in total? Four months. Four months. What exactly was wrong with this property? And why did it take four months? <laughs> it was a bit of a Pandora's box. The The main
0: thing that slowed us down was the ability to get trades. So every trade that I called had a wait list of a month or two months even to even come and have a look. It, it, there's just a huge trade shortage in, in that area. And I was at the the, the pointy end of it. But because I like I'm a bit of an extremist and I just wanted to get get my hands dirty, I was like, let me at it. I'll do whatever
1: whatever they can't do, I'll do and, and off we went. Super interesting. So what was the actual you said that basically somebody was gonna buy the property, the building of pest came back, that was it came back bad enough that whoever was gonna buy the property said, No, nah, I'm not interested. What was wrong with it? And and why did you think, No, nah, no, nah, this still looks like a good deal to me?
0: Yeah, good question. So what was wrong with it? It hadn't been very well maintained. It, you know, has cracks through the walls. It didn't have gutters. The, it, it was a house and granny flat. The granny flat downstairs was, was a bit of a dump. It didn't even have a stove. Needed air cons. Like on and on the, the, the story went. Um, but it did have the ability to, to rent it out separately. So two separate tenancies. Um, and I saw at that point um, that would have been quite useful with interest rates moving the way they were moving. So it was the sort of uniqueness of the property that um, had me continue with the with the purchase so you say
1: cracks in the walls and stuff was that structural or was it um, it sounds like some of that was cosmetic you know the place looks like a dump or like that kind of stuff seems like okay fine clean it up all good but was there structural issues or talk to me about that
0: yeah that was not structural issues but there was just it the the property was a it, it's a it's like a bunker it's a big uh Big concrete bunker with with concrete in the middle. Um, every wall is concrete. The thing's solid, but it, but it's it's obviously started to move. I got it checked out by an engineer, not structural in nature. However, to the untrained eye, it looked a little uh, looked a little dodgy. There was cracks all the way through a lot of walls, and um, yeah, it, it, it definitely would have uh, sent shivers up your spine if you didn't if you didn't get the engineer's report.
1: Yeah, nice. Can we can we talk about some of the details? I'm very interested actually in this. Like, how much did you buy it for? Um, how much did you spend on the renovation? Round mm. figures is fine. You know, how much did you spend on the renovation? Talk to us about some of the performance results. Have you got it rented out? Give us a little breakdown of it because that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I bought it for three sixty eight. Um,
0: So it's a four-bedroom upstairs, uh, one-bathroom, and a two-bedroom, one-bathroom downstairs. So six bedrooms so in total. Upstairs, D- split, split, rent- split, two down, four up. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought I was going to spend about 40 on the reno, <laughs> <laughs> ended up ended up um spending about double that, um, including holding costs. So spent about eighty in total. Um, but did get an upswing, so it took it from three sixty eight to four eighty. So three no, so no, three
1: sixty-eight plus eighty plus eighty on the rental and holding costs during that kind of four month period. That puts it up at four forty eight. And then post renovated value was four eighty, right? So four eighty minus four forty eight. So you made thirty two grand. But that was on the, that was just in the first instance. That was pretty much like the post-renovation value. So that's without any kind of growth or any other factor in that. In hindsight, do you think it was worth it? Would you, if you knew everything you knew before you did the four-month renovation, would you have bought that property? That's a good question. It's a good question. I think, I think yes,
0: with 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 the long the long-term view, because I know I know it still will grow, and I now know that. When you're doing a renovation, you need to budget a little bit more, and I, I need to probably, you know, spend a little bit less, and all those sorts of things that um, that you learn on on the on the ground when you do something like that. Mm. Do you think you overcapitalized on some things, or what was the biggest expense? Why didn't I overcapitalize? I probably just I probably just did a little bit too much. Like there were certain things that I could have just not done. Um, you know, there was a there was a crack in the tiles on the landing. But at that point, I didn't know if it was structural or not because there was there might have been rotting timber underneath and the stairs could have been dropping. So there was things that I didn't know. I spoke to builders and they were like, "Oh, we'll just we'll just pull the tiles up and see what's down there." So we pulled the tiles up, thinking that we could just tile those things. But then we had to retile the whole thing and had to waterproof it and all this stuff that I just wanted to leave it. I just wanted to put a mat over the top of it and just leave it. But you know, I, I was trying to do stuff. I was trying to do some preventative maintenance, which I think. I kind of got got a little bit too carried away with, Mm. Uh, and in hindsight, I might have just left stuff like that. To be honest,
1: yeah, 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 super interesting. And what about the yield on that property? So that's is that rented out now? Yeah, the top
0: level is rented out. um, So the the four bedroom house is rented out, and the two bedroom unit's got a fair bit of interest. So I'm just looking at um, leases uh, with the property manager this week. Okay,
1: so let's go. Come on, mate. Let's go through the numbers. Okay, so the tops rented out for how much? If if you remember, four fifty. Four fifty. Okay, four fifty for the top. And what do you think the bottom's gonna rent out for? They've got it on for three fifty. Ooh, that's pretty spicy. Which, do you reckon that's gonna go at three fifty?
0: A bit spicy. It's a bit spice because it doesn't have parking. So I think we might need to come down a little bit. All right. So uh, let's so call I'll it be totally with the with the um the agent.
1: So we'll call it three hundred plus four fifty, right? So that's seven hundred and fifty. So if you rent it out for seven fifty, so seven fifty times fifty two. Uh, it's thirty nine thousand, thirty nine thousand divided by, uh, we'll call it four hundred and four hundred and forty eight thousand. That's the post renovated uh, cost. So you'd be looking at an eight point seven percent yield. You must be pretty happy with that.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. It's 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 a good uh, it's
0: a good feeling in in this environment to know that it's going to cover its own costs. Yeah, nice.
1: How do you think that um experience has set you up to better serve uh investors? Because that's I think it's a pretty uh, you know I, I haven't you know, we bought a property to renovate it and then I just didn't start the renovation and, you know, chucked a roof on it or whatever, but kind of done stuff like that in my past life. But it's, how do you think that set you up to better either understand the process or better empathize with investors? Talk to me about that. Yeah, definitely
0: to un- understand the process and know that there
1: there can potentially
0: be, you know, I'm not a professional renovator. I'm sure pe- people could do it a lot quicker, better, faster and, and cheaper yeah. than me. But when people come with their own mindset that, you know, you've got to add value, for example, on, on a property, you can, but it can it can go, it can blow out. There can be costs that can blow out, you know, time can blow out and all that sort of stuff. So I think there are other
1: ways to do it. It doesn't have to be, say, renovation. What are your thoughts now on adding value versus just buying the right property in the right place at the right time? Like if somebody was coming to you and saying, hey, which way should I go about it? Should I try and buy a property that I can fix a wrap up or should I just try and buy something and do nothing ideally? Like what would you, what do you think is the best move forward for people? I think especially
0: if you're, far away from where that property is that just buying buying a property in the right place at the right time is is the is the way to go buying yeah. the right property um if if you just stinging to get your hands dirty like i was i just wanted to throw myself into something then potentially it'll it'll suck up uh, half a year and uh, and a bit of cash and you can uh, <laughs> you can tell the story about it <laughs> which i've got you know there's different strokes different folks but i, I certainly. uh I would have preferred to have potentially done two
1: properties rather than just the one and renovate. Yeah, nice, nice. So what does success look like for you? What does life look like in 25 years? Oh, success to me is having
0: passive income to give me options. Um, I'm a bit of an adventurer, so I'd like to be, you know, riding around the world on motorbikes and sailing around the world on yachts and living on an island. In 25 years, you know, I probably would have done all that. 25 years, have a family, definitely live on an island with good surf, no traffic, Uh, you know, I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to be hanging out holding the holding the the, the wheel. It's not going to be me. So, um, yeah, living a simple but fulfilling life.
1: Nice. You talked about cold exposure and and some breath work and stuff like that earlier. Do you have any habits or rituals specifically that help you stay on track, motivated, moving towards your goals? Yeah the the breath work
0: has become has become a, a an assistant with that keeping the little deal that i have with myself i've said to myself that i'm going to do it so it keeps integrity every day i wake up i do 30 deep breaths when i wake up with a breath hold at the end hold for as long as i can and i do three rounds of that that energizes me for the day it helps me focus it helps me get started rather than you know banging down some caffeine or something like that it's uh,
1: it, it feels a little bit more uh, natural and energizing hang on a second you said so you don't do caffeine at all so it's not just the breathwork plus caffeine you've literally or oh, what's going on there So I've only picked up caffeine since I'm not working on
0: my feet. So I don't don't need it when I'm when I'm moving. When I'm sedentary, I need caffeine after lunch. I don't need it, but I have it. That's a habit now. But I I, in the morning, I've never
1: ever had caffeine to wake up. Super interesting. And so, how do you think the breath work? And I I know that you you go out and surf and stuff like that too. Why do you think that gives you more energy? What's the kind of thinking or the science behind that? Oh, there's so much. I'm. I've read a bit of Wim
0: Hof. I'm about to read another book that will give me a lot more um, understanding of it. It's about oxygenating and, and get, getting more uh, carbon dioxide in and out. And To be honest with you, I'm not 100% on the science. I, I've been told it a few times. It hasn't really sunk in. I'm more interested in the benefits without understanding it at this point, but I will learn more about it. Because funnily enough, that, that course that I uh, did last year, I've actually signed up for an instructor course. Not because I
1: want to instruct, but just because I want to get deeper and harder. Into, oh, so super I'll, interesting. I'll have a good answer for you after that. Super interesting, super interesting. And if you could go back 10 years, go back 10 years and meet your, your former self 10 years ago, what advice would you give yourself? With where, where I was
0: and, and what I was doing, you know, the the, the scenes that I was in and stuff, I'd, I probably would have just said to, to, to get on a full-time wage, I was on casual at that point. And I, I got offered to buy the rental property I was in, in Bondi. And I would have just said, just buy it those two things would have would have put me in a pretty good position. So now I wouldn't
1: have, wouldn't have uh, been a, a detriment at all. Yeah, nice. And what advice or insights or inside knowledge would you share with someone who's thinking about working with Dash Job but might be sitting on the fence? Ugh. I'd say start with a
0: portfolio growth plan. It'll give you a good insight into where you're trying to get to and, and organize your thoughts. It'll also give you a really good chance to see how we work and how we think and some of the cool tech that we use to get people fantastic results.
1: You've got an interesting story. Since you've been uh, building portfolio plans for people, you've actually been building portfolio growth plans and getting deep in the strategy. What has been the biggest revelation that you've seen or the biggest transformational, I guess, insight that you've potentially uh, delivered to someone? Because it's pretty wild once you actually can see the future, so to speak. Yeah. The light has been shone
0: on where the roadblocks are likely to come up and trying to think strategically now about how to overcome those in the future, whether that's cash flow, capital, or borrowing capacity. Assisting our clients to 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 shine that light on them, just they, they can't believe that we're doing that for them. No one else has even talked to them about it. They'd ask their broker, well, what, what loan should I get? They tell them 80% P&I. No one's thinking four, five, six properties down the track. So, I think that's the big thing. It, it's that we've got an eye to that future and we're trying to assist them navigate that now.
1: How big of a change do you think that makes? Because, my, in my experience, most people, always, to your point, have got no idea what the future holds. So they're sort of investing and guessing. They're like, pretty sure if I invest, I'm eventually going to get to where I want to get to, but they've got no real optics. They don't understand A, are they going to get there? B, how long it'll take? You know, C, they, they don't really understand that. Once you can give people that the optics, it changes the game in my in my experience. Have you because all of a sudden it becomes tangible and real, and they get to make real decisions, and also they get they get to live a better life today because they might go, oh, okay, so I only need to do X. Perfect. Maybe that means I can do other things in my life today. Have you seen that kind of transformational change happen with people? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, people that that are you know they might be doing a job that they want to be want to get out of, and yeah, you know, we present them the plan, and they go, wow, like in in eleven years, yes. like I can stop this job that i'm not into or nine years or whatever it may be and
1: you, you see you see the change of people and that's that's pretty cool to see yeah nice what do you want to be remembered for um what do you want to be remembered that's another it's an interesting question as well um <laughs> uh,
0: yeah i mean i want to be remembered by by the people that i've that i've connected with you know i, I don't necessarily want to be an elon musk or a Bruce mcgrath but I, I certainly want to you know i be known by my friends and family as someone that, that helped them when they needed help and, and you know, just a,
1: a fun and inspiring person to be around. Nice. And if you could if you could create a billboard, maybe hang it off uh, Elon Musk's Starlink, right? A billboard that was big enough for everyone in the world to see that was going to float around the world. One big message that you'd want to share with the world, what would that be? I'm, I'm going to quote, quote uh, Grant Cardone
0: and that is, nothing happens to you it happens because of you.
1: Nothing happens to you. It happens because of you. I like that. I like that. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Is there anything else that you, that you think I should have asked you that I didn't ask you that you want to share with people while, while we're doing while we're doing this nice little podcast? I'm enjoying this, by the way. It's been a fun little adventure oh. through through Adam Land. <laughs> Adam Land.
0: Um, I, I can't think of anything that that I haven't really shared. I've shared all the weird breathing and cold stuff. That was about as weird as I wanted to get, you know. <laughs> I'm sure there's small <laughs> stuff, but there's definitely weirder <laughs> stuff than your breathing and the cold stuff. hundred percent, yeah. you know. Yeah, whether it's relatable to this
1: podcast or not, is <laughs> <laughs> no fair enough. Awesome. Well, Adam, it's been it's been great. You know what I've what I've enjoyed about this podcast is um, a lot of people go through transformational parts of their life. A lot of people don't. You know, a lot of people say so get to their 20s, they pick a career path and that's their, like they effectively cast the same life forward. And there's nothing wrong with that in any way, shape or form. But there are people like you and people like me who have a life that has two distinct halves to it. And in fact, it might happen more than that. You may end up with three or four or five really distinct types of or or series or seasons of of your life. And what I think is really interesting about your story specifically is you know, you've shown how that you can actually really transition successfully between these two different, very different stories. Both beautiful and enriching in their own way, both impactful and meaningful in their own way, but but very, very different. You've been able to do that quite successfully, and you know, have it continue to have an impact along people along the way, and also, you know, you've been deep in the learning yourself, not just not just you know, in the in the practicing professionally, but also pushing yourself to go and learn. You didn't have to go and travel to Townsville to go and swing a hammer when you're working a full-time job, you know, helping people to build their property portfolios. That's a lot to take on. But the the desire for learning and growth was the desire to go and actually do that and start to actually tease that out and to get that experience for yourself. So I think there's a lot of lessons in here for people to think about personal growth and transformation, how they can start to apply that in their life. Do you think that's a fair, fair summary? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Adam, it's been fun. I really appreciate you coming on. Look forward to speaking to you again soon.
0: Thanks for having me, Goose. Speak soon.